Hello, you're listening to This Film Not Rated, a podcast where we absolutely refuse to decide whether or not a movie is good or bad. Curtis, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good so far. So, we are not allowed to rate anything on this show, and Curtis just gained a point. The person with the most points is losing, so I'm ahead, and therefore doing better than Curtis. Ah, uh, that's right. If I'm doing better, then I'm losing too. So... <laughs> Um, Curtis, Mm -hmm. the whole premise of the show, what movies did you watch this week? Uh, Which ones did we watch tonight? We watched Fantastic Mr. Fox, which Mm -hmm. I had not seen. By Wes Anderson. By Wes Anderson. Uh, And then we watched The Raid Redemption, which Mm -hmm. is the first one. The second one is The Raid 2, Berendahl. Mm -hmm. And we watched... Weathering With You by Makoto Shinkai. Uh, And that one I also had not seen. Yeah, I saw that one in theaters. Uh, about a year ago. What was that like? So the movie itself is about this uh, adolescent boy around high school age who runs away from home to Tokyo. And along the way, he runs into this uh, girl who has the ability to control the weather. And the plot focuses on those two and their relationship. Yeah, their relationship. That was probably the most interesting and kind of the most lacking part of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Lacking in the literal sense of did not see a lot of it. Yeah. It felt like there was a lot going on with the movie and uh, so for all of you out there who think I should have pressed the buzzer, let me explain. <laughs> um, the There's a suggestion of romance and closeness between the two characters, but their lives don't really intersect. The The drama that they have, the closest thing that they have in common is that they're both young and trying to live on their own mm-hmm. and sort of not supposed to be doing that. Yeah. Both, uh, I guess, breaking the law. And I felt like it was hard to tell whether or not the movie was trying to grow their relationship into a romance or if they were just trying to grow it into something intimate and personal that's not necessarily defined by... In the making of documentary that comes with the uh, with, with the 4K edition that I have, it is meant to be a romance. It just wasn't fully developed, and they realized this somewhere, and they... along the way, which is... In, in the original cut of the movie, uh, at the end, where uh, Hodaka and... I've got, I forget her name, but the the girl character meet... She was supposed to see him first and then run, and one of the producers felt like they had been apart for so long that she really wouldn't recognize him, so they had him call out her name instead, which is what snaps her to realizing who um, uh, who it is, and that's how that moment appeared. That, so it, it touches on the problem, but doesn't fix it entirely. Yeah, there's a difference between recognizing something and competently handling it. I understand. And and it's it's strange because uh in Koto Shinkai's last project, uh Your Name, that problem was non existent. The romance was incredibly well developed and, and easy to see. So it's it, from my exp- from what I understand it's the same team. I don't know why How well developed was it? Uh it was just a well like <laughs> So that's what three for you. I think. Uh, I think we're. And I have one. I think it's two for me, and you have one. Oh, okay. Listeners will know. All they have to do is keep a tally on a notepad yeah. and tell us. But it's not a competition, though. Of course not. 
It's never a competition until yeah. you're winning. No, but like the with uh, weathering with you, the it's it's almost like the movie itself is the experience and not the romance. Like the romance may be the focus, but it's kind of like the world that takes center stage as opposed to them. And that was the other interesting thing to me was the world is our world. There are fantasy elements to it, but I still stand by the argument that this is probably a very easily adaptable movie for live action. Yeah, I I can see that. At least some of the things that you can do I feel like would be interesting to me. Alright. So what did you think of uh, Weathering With You as a whole? I really felt for the lead female character. Mm. And I really wanted to see the characters be successful in what they wanted to do, whether that's their careers, whether that's uh, doing what's right by their family or their siblings or whatnot. So I, I definitely got invested in what the in the story. Okay. Um, but I'm always looking for something. I'm always looking for the thing that I feel like I'm too incompetent to understand in any movie. I think I would recommend that people watch this one. There are a lot of... Mother... Okay. So, the reason why I felt like this was a movie that I might recommend for someone Mm -hmm. to watch was other slice-of-life anime that I've seen. Mm -hmm. This one plays a little bit more with avoiding exposition and show-don't-tell as a rule. So that's pretty much weathering of view. Uh, What are your initial thoughts for the Fantastic Mr. Fox? There is a gratuitous amount of detail. I was constantly catching myself trying to deliberately look away from the center of the screen because the movie clearly wants me to stare at the center of the screen. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) So, I felt like sometimes the performances were embellished by the animation. Yeah, I I can understand that. Uh, For example, when Willem Dafoe's character, and hopefully this is not a spoiler, I can, by not saying who he plays, I can hopefully keep that from being a spoiler, Mm. um, is being given essentially a funeral. Yeah. Uh, The delivery from George Clooney is very matter-of-fact. Yes. But the set design, the lighting, and the pathos of the other characters, I'm going to go with that word, Mm -hmm. uh, made me feel like that that matter-of-fact sort of tone, I I actually feel like it it worked in a way for that scene, because... It's not necessarily a character he should feel very hard for, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it's the it's the second time, and for, for that particular scene, it was the second time we saw this character in both times. He's just kind of this like quirky villain character, uh, working for for the uh, farmers. Yeah, and so or so he says. So he says. I, I don't imagine a reality in which these farmers were like, "Hey, you." I sewed up this tiny little costume that has a badge for you. 
um, why don't you do these specific job sets and carry around a switchblade? Almost like with uh, Wes Anderson's like way he decides to to frame his his uh, his uh, shots. Like I don't know which one it is, but uh, there's a movie with uh, Edward Norton who plays a camp counselor, and there's the scene where him and the his his uh, scouts are sitting at a, at a table, but they're all on one side of the table, almost like the Last Supper painting. And the idea of all the kids being on one side is utterly ridiculous, but it makes sense in the sense of the framing for Wes Anderson. It does, and that's those are the sort of things that I was talking about with Weathering With You, where I'm constantly looking for the insight and the narrative that somebody else is going to say was obvious that went over my head. Yeah. That's the thing with Wes Anderson's movies. A lot of times I end up feeling like I'm supposed to understand something I'm not understanding, particularly with the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. But I didn't watch that this week, so I can't go into that more. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox was animated. Exclamation. It was. (laughs) It was certainly that. And there was a lot of of attention to detail in that animation. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of different techniques used that are not used from my knowledge in, in other claymation. For like, for example, whenever there's like smoke, instead of it being like clay smoke, it's, it's cotton or something. Fixated every single time there was any kind of billowing smoke, steam, or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, it's very eye-catching. And um, his tail... Made me laugh. Everything Uh, regarding Mr. Fox's tail mm -hmm. was absolutely... I think that comes down more to George Clooney's uh, delivery. What? I think that comes down more to George Clooney's delivery of his lines for Mr. Fox. He's just kind of like this charismatic character throughout the entire movie. Oh, I don't know. Contextually, spoiler alert for anyone who wants to skip, skip the next, like, five seconds. Uh, When the dog grabs his tail and slings it all around like oh my gosh i i <laughs> wanted to lose it well, that so. was hilarious for sure so i wanted to talk a little bit about the look of this have you read the roll doll book do you know i have never re- oh, i've never read a, a, a roll doll book when i was in fifth grade my teacher read a roll doll book to the class and it happened to be uh, charlie and the chocolate factory I did not know he had made other books other than this. I know he, like, then, so before this one, I, I, I knew of the Chocolate Factory, I knew of the Great Glass Elevator, and one other thing that involved Willy Wonka, but... Matilda. Uh, I didn't know he did Matilda, but that's... Mm. Okay, that's neat. Um, so to me, a really interesting part of this was I, I never would have associated the tone of this with anything else I've seen that's written by Roald Dahl. I actually, when it comes to mapping out the town, yeah. I even got a little bit of a reminder of the Emperor's New Groove. Yeah, I think that comes more to Wes Anderson's directing than it does the source material. But that's the neat thing, is is even his directing didn't stray far enough for me to not think about Chicken Run, Wallace and Gromit. Yeah. Different movies that share... Yeah that claymation aesthetic. Yeah, and, and oddly enough, I actually think Wes Anderson's directing style works well for this movie, uh, con- considering... I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the Fantastic Mr. Mr. Fox is, is is a chapter book, but his uh, way... His, his style of cinematography is so storybook-like, it works very well with a, with a story like this. Uh, yeah, I would agree. And very well, though. So... 
Um, Damn it. <laughs> the only particular thing that stood out to me, and I just can't let my adult brain turn off. Okay. Uh, particularly since there are certain story elements that you need an adult brain for. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. Um... The digging. Uh, <laughs> I just, I cannot, it's almost like watching Ant-Man for me, where the a building supposedly shrinks down to the size of being able to carry it like a wheelchair, and yeah. yet Ant-Man is supposed to be able to punch with the force of his full-grown body, so lugging that building around should be the weight of the actual building. Yeah, uh, so they, they get the <laughs> physics wrong in Ant-Man. I'm gonna let that one go. Okay. So the uh, I'm not quite. I can't quite because wrong. It could be a good thing or a bad thing yeah. that the physics is wrong. You know, yeah. you could, there's an argument I think to be made for that. So, okay. but with the digging, the idea that they're digging down and the dirt is just disappearing and holes are just created like it's an Acme Looney Tune. <laughs> for I... me, that's one of those things that I'm trying to let slide, but it's yeah. so key to so many plot points. That it I, it just sticks in my brain. Okay. So, all right. So that's fantastic, Mr. Fox. Now the other one, which I'm really excited to talk about, is the Raid Redemption. Why am I excited to talk about it? Is that because that's the one I picked for the day? Shut up. <laughs> uh, I think you're excited about it because um, because Mike Sonoda did the score for the movie. Uh, I, I certainly it. did shill for Linkin Park for much of my youth. Yes, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, no, but the movie is... Uh, so this is my first time Rest watching. in peace, Chester Bennett. So this is my first time watch, watching the movie. Uh, it's... it At the beginning, it, it's it's almost billed as a by-the-numbers action movie, but as, as it gets crazier and crazier, it becomes more of a of a martial arts display action movie and it's some of the craziest action I've seen in movies. So, I'll take it. Mm, so. Uh, I mean, crazy um, can be good or bad, though. But uh, Crazy can be good or bad, but there's a positive connotation when you're handling it in a certain way. So sure. I will pull the reins in a bit and say, what do you mean by crazier? Um, by crazy, uh, it's... The action itself is... Uh, very similar in style to that of what you'll see in a movie like John Wick, uh, where it's it's once the action starts, it's nonstop and bodies fall constantly. Uh, on top of that, uh, you mentioned this while while watching the movie. All the stunt work is done without wires, which is uh, uh, at the very minimum a good majority of it. Most yeah. of the tricks they seem to have pulled off come from what's just off camera. Yeah, I felt like there was a moment where uh, the lead character is being pushed back up through a hole in the floor, and I think I did see a crew member possibly pushing his boot from the bottom. <laughs> I must have missed that. That might so. be the only thing. Uh, but the, there is a time. Yes. In recent film history. Mm-hmm. Where Paul Greengrass was making Jason Bourne movies. Yeah. And so everyone else in the world decided, oh my gosh, everything will feel more intense if we shake the camera. Uh, yeah. And then we had shaky cams everywhere. So, 
Maybe people love shaky camera. Maybe they hate shaky camera. Like they're supposed to. <laughs> but I'd say it's it's almost less noticeable in this movie because the action keeps you so engaged that it's it almost works for this kind of movie. I don't believe this is shaky cam. I believe this is handheld. And I believe that the idea behind this was to help you feel like you're in the aesthetic, but also to free the camera operator Mm -hmm. to follow the action as a member of the choreography. Because the action in this movie is carefully planned and executed by basically a group of professional stuntmen who are working as the main acting roles. Yes. Uh. And so what you get are action sequences in a time where a lot of cuts and edits were made to favor Mm PG-13. Gareth Evans decided to make sure that they had things in place so that you saw the consequences, gore, and impact of the violence that was on screen. So the cuts are a lot more along the lines of the way that Jackie Chan will talk about uh, cutting to rhythmically benefit a sequence that you're trying to build. Mm. This movie's action is different from what had been because before there was John Wick and one year after there was, or two years after there was taken, one year if you count the Indonesian release. Yeah. Um, you had people who were allowing sequences to breathe and where the stunt work was the primary focus of the action. Yeah. However, I did feel for the characters. Yes, for sure. It was a simple, simple story. Kind of like John Wick is a simple, simple story. There's reasoning behind it, but Mm -hmm. very simply put... They killed his dog, so he kills everyone. That's John Wick. There is a backstory and reason for this character to do what he's doing. Yeah. But to put it very simply, he's a police officer on a raid, and he needs to get home. Yes. And that's... that's, And, uh... Well, to, to be more specific, he needs to get home to his pregnant wife. So, what else to say about the raid? Uh... It's cold... The imagery feels cold to yeah. me in, inside there. Not necessarily temperature-wise, but just dusty and and, uh, and gritty. cold. And you know, there are a lot. There's a lot more to uh, recent films that sort of base uh, economic inequality as justification for having characters be criminals right. to set up a sort of cops and robbers scenario. And they, for the most part anyone renting in this facility is able to do so because the person in charge, you know, ch- you know, encourages them to do illegal things to support his illegal business, yeah. you know, drug running these sorts of things in order to live there. So you have basically a bunch of drug-driven ready to defend their castle uh-huh. uh Seemingly psychopaths uh, <laughs> versus a very relatively small group of dedicated uh, police officers who find out that they're roughly on their own way too at the worst possible time. Yeah. Even after having watched John Wick and seen so many action movies 
uh, push the envelope in terms of caring about sequencing and editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like this one still uh, gives you thrills and makes you want to cover your face. Wow. <laughs> <sighs> I so, feel like I feel like some of the none of the impact is is lost because of later action movies. Some of the physical violence the way it's depicted is incredibly impactful mm-hmm. and conceptually it's simple straightforward and the story is like very I want to say lean not 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 they don't they don't take a lot of time to make points they sort of keep moving yeah so what about you um if i were to recommend someone watch this uh i'd be f- mostly for the insane amount of work they did to to get the choreography down so that's the because that is the highlight of of the film is 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 uh, is the display of 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 these uh, martial arts uh, demonstrations. Uh, other than that, the like I mean like like I said before, the story was 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 well handled and and there is a- well handled. Mm-hmm. So scaling it down to be a little more casual. Okay, what did you watch in the last week? Um. Watch the Elephant Man, Mulholland Drive, Death by Hanging, a couple of, of others. David Lynch. Uh, d- uh, two David Lynch ones were. You're new to a lot of David Lynch movies, right? The first, yeah, like I just saw my first David Lynch movie, I think last week, which was his first film, his debut film, Eraserhead. What did you think of it? Eraserhead was interesting. It was by far the. Sh- by far the what? It was strange to say the least. Um, it's very surreal, which I should have expected from David Lynch, but since I'm new to him, I didn't expect it as much. Uh, the whole movie is based around this idea of, uh, of a guy who, who gets uh, an un- unknown pregnancy. He has to take care of a baby with the, with the girl he's dating. The baby is this, uh, grotesque, mutated thing, oh. uh, it's very body horror, which I wasn't expecting, to be honest. Uh, the whole movie itself is about uh, the idea of uh, of worrying o- over anxiety and the idea of uh, a child consuming your being. Gotcha. Did... I haven't seen... Uh, you haven't seen Eraserhead? Eraserhead yet. Mm-hmm. I want to. It's up there on my list. So. Okay. It's... It's worth a watch. Ah, <laughs> oh, dang it. Uh, Tell so, me about the Elephant Man. So it is. It is directed by David Lynch, and, and oddly enough, it's not written by him. Uh, while af- after Eraserhead, he was ma- he, he was writing this other movie. I forget the name, but he tried to go a- after he finished writing it. He tried going around to get uh, funding for it, and no one would actually uh, pick it up. So he decided to direct someone else's movies, and he met with someone who had three script ideas. The first one was the Elephant Man, and he said, "Stop." That's the one I want to do. And he never even heard the other two choices. Oh, wow. So he he uh, looked over the script, got uh, Anthony Hopkins on board, got John Hurt on board, and... Uh, John Hurt plays the Elephant Man, He right? plays the Elephant Man, yeah. And uh, 
the only way that he could get funding for it was to take it to Mel Brooks, oddly enough. And he liked the script, he liked Anthony Hopkins, and he liked John Hurt, but he had never heard of uh, of David Lynch at that point. What? And he, and, and he asked, what, what has he done? And the person said, well, he directed this this movie called Eraserhead. And he said, well, I'm going to have to watch that before I sign, sign off on him. And when David Lynch heard that, he said, well, it's nice knowing you guys. So David Lynch was outside the, uh, the, uh, the uh, theater. And after Mel Brooks had watched it, he walked out and said... You're a madman, I love it, you're in. <laughs> the whole idea of, of Elephant Man is that Anthony Hopkins plays this uh, doctor, and he, he uses the Elephant Man as a way to gain medical prestige, thinking he's no more than a simpleton, a uh, moron. And as the story pro- pro- uh, progresses, the, the actual intellect of, of the Elephant Man, played by John Hurt, starts to become more and more obvious. And the whole movie is about this... Uh, it's it's this basic contrast of 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 uh, humanity and the, the 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 darker sides of it and and the brighter sides of it where uh Anthony Hopkins slowly becomes friends with this uh what on on the outside this grotesque looking man but on the inside is probably one of the gentlest people you'll ever meet and is very eloquently spoken and so. The rest of society sees him as nothing more than a monster or something to be amused by. Is and that like an inverse Halloween? Kind of, yeah. Slash f- flowers for Algernon, and mm-hmm. if the doctor were the one to go through something. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, there's a funny story, actually, about the the elephant man. Uh, like af- After the uh, shooting was done, uh, John Hurt actually took the uh, cranium as a uh, souvenir. Not uh, years later, someone broke into his house looking to grab something, and he, they they opened up the, the the closet, and the cranium for the elephant man fell down. They thought it was an actual human skull and ran out scared. Excellent. So nothing was stolen. Interesting. Uh, so I think I've come up with a different way for us to talk about uh, what made you want to talk about this movie is the question. You know, at the end of the uh, day. At the end of the day, what made me want to talk about it is how vastly different it was. I mean, minus the the, the beginning, how vastly different it was to David Lynch's uh, debut film, a Eraserhead, because the, the 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 movie is surreal for like the first five minutes, and then it goes into a basic narrative, and it stays on that narrative from beginning to end. Hmm. What do you mean by basic narrative? Uh, there, there's no fancy imagery I guess so like in in Eraserhead a lot you, of qualifying I, I, yeah, words so, here uh, so, so, you're so, like two thirds of the way towards a buzzer so in in Eraserhead there's this famous dancing scene where uh, the main character Henry is, is like off to the side at one point and his head pops off and what's replacing his head is the uh, mutated baby's head coming out which is what gives me the impression that that movie is about uh where having a child basically the the child becomes your life. Uh when you you get stuff like that at the beginning of this movie where where it's a lot of symbolic imagery. But uh it 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 ends okay. it ends rather quickly and becomes a straightforward narrative where Anthony Hopkins is uh wandering through a freak show and that's where he finds the elephant man and he takes him and 
examines him. So Nick- it's more of a chronological, yes, sequential event movie. Yeah, like you're used to seeing. You know, A leads to B, but C happens, and so D happens. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. What movies did you watch this week? I have been on a kick of rewatching uh, Christopher Nolan's after having collected some of the 4K. Okay. Uh, I finally saw Tenet really late after everyone else saw Tenet. Mm-hmm. That wasn't this week, though, so I think we'll have to come back to that another time. That's but fair. There is a point that I want to bring up regarding the prestige. Okay. The three acts of a magic trick. There's the pledge, mm-hmm. the turn, and the prestige. Michael Caine says that the pledge is when a magician shows you something and allows you to examine it so that you can see that it's ordinary, although, of course, it probably isn't. Right. Then comes the turn, where the magician takes that ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. Mm Mm-hmm. And then comes... The prestige. Because just making something disappear isn't enough. Uh, You wouldn't be clapping yet. You have to make it reappear. He does say making something disappear isn't enough. You have to bring it back. Yeah. And that's why you get to the third act, the prestige. This is the hardest part. And... And... mm, That's it. That's it. Now, not everything has to be a magic show. Not everything has to be a trick. No. But the idea of a movie is for there to be a story that's told. Mm -hmm. And if your story has three acts, it doesn't have to, but if it does, then the first act is when you're introduced to a world, the second act are when unusual things happen, Mm -hmm. and the third act is when you find catharsis or the character learns something or you begin to understand what the point of that story is. Okay. Now, what do you remember about the catharsis or the prestige of the prestige? Uh, it would be the idea of of getting away, I guess is a good term, with, uh, with an act that is so easy to see through that because the solution is so simple, everyone looks past it. That would be the prestige moment for me. I think it is when you realize that there was a twin the whole time. And when you realize how many of himself Hugh Jackman has killed in order to pull off his master plan. These are how many the revelations them? that make everything make sense. Okay. 100. Not, I don't believe he made it to 100, but the show that he sets up to catch uh, Borden, mm-hmm. uh, Christian Bale's character... Uh, is a limited 100 show act. Uh. So he had a maximum of 100 tanks that he was going to fill. Oh. And so the revelation is that every night, the machine that he's created duplicates him. I'm sorry, spoilers for anyone who hasn't watched the 2006 movie, which is now 15 years old, The Prestige. Um, He drops from the stage into a dunk tank Mm -hmm. and is drowned to death. And his replicated self comes out from behind the stage and finishes the magic act for the audience. Okay? Okay. So every single time he is waiting for Christian Bale's character 
to one day come, and after this is set up multiple times over the thing, and come downstairs and find him in the glass case. Mm-hmm. Once he is tipped off that he's gone downstairs, on that magic show, replicated him hides and does not come out to the audience so that Christian Bale is caught with the body downstairs. Huh. God, I do not remember this movie at all. It's a very... that You know, that's exactly the point. That was the biggest thing and the reason why I wanted to talk about his movies for this week is because it just... It hit me and it's sort of like after he made Memento mm-hmm. where the, you know emotional payoff is there and following is is out of continuity it's it seems like he and his brother touched in writing on something that's really truthful about themselves uh i'm always interested in movies as a reflection when someone has that much creative control over something as Mm -hmm. a reflection of them Mm -hmm. and then this was the kicker for me Mm -hmm. tell me what is bane's story in the dark knight rises Bane's story in The Dark Knight Rises? Yes. Uh, God, if I can remember this right. Uh, Bane's story is he was born in a prison. When he was very young, he managed to climb out, on, uh, but only after having been jaded and... Uh, I, I guess jaded... I don't know if jaded... Remember, he didn't climb out. He didn't... No, no, it was the girl who climbed out. That's right. Bane was saved by by by, uh, by Ra's al Ghul. Yes. Oh God, I can't believe I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Bane was saved by Ra's al Ghul, and because of that, he devoted his service not to Ra's but to the girl who came back for him. And that was because it feels like because she came back for him. Yeah. Right. What if I told you that Bane? is best represented by the blind doctor who helps heal Bruce Wayne. Hmm. When Bruce Wayne is attempting to escape from this prison, he's told a story, and he's told about the dynamic of the prison that he's in. Yeah. That literally the torture of this environment is the constant hope that someone could escape, and the continual failure and despair of knowing someone never will. Oh, wow. Right, okay. Yes, everyone jumps, everyone continues to fail. And everyone wants to believe it's pointless. Everyone tells Bruce Wayne there's no point. And yet every single time he starts to climb, both times beforehand he starts to climb, the old man has a look of hope on his face. The man who's training, helping him, his back heel has a look on his face. Mm -hmm. And everyone is chanting the word rise over and over and over again out of desperate hope that he's going to succeed. And Mm -hmm. he keeps failing, just like the person who did before him. Mm Mm-hmm. So Bane, having been born in here and having learned that, does not love, in a romantic sense, in a conventional sense, Talia al Ghul, because she came back to save him when he defended her. Oh, you you think he... It, it, it's, it's the sense that she escaped. She escaped. Okay. And she was also born in the pit. Yeah, she... So she shares this same concept with him the yeah. same narrative they are one and the same and she gave him a life so he is readily committed to it okay. so everyone who writes Bane off as just pretending to have Talia's life and not do it is not paying attention like is paying attention but this is the problem 
It's like there's a Rubik's Cube of a clean narrative that could be really well emotionally pulled off. And I, I just... It was the moment where Bane is looking up at Batman and he's like, I broke you. And he doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. And Batman says, did you think you were the only one that could escape? And Bane says, sheds a tear and says, I never escaped. Yeah. And right after that is when Talia stabs him and reveals herself, and a bunch of people, I think, get distracted. Yeah. But that moment, to me, was everything. Because I realized I should care about this mm-hmm. way more than I do. But all of the emotional, you know, things in this... And, and we discussed how Tenet... Uh, the emotional relationship between Neil and the protagonist mm-hmm. has substance to it. Yeah. It's just disordered, and you don't understand when you're watching the movie what that relationship no. really is until the very end. But that payoff works so well in Tenet, though. I believe the payoff works, but I don't believe you feel the emotions at first. On subsequent viewings, you could build it. Mm-hmm. On subsequent viewings, I've built Bane. The thing is, I'm caught initially in these movies for completely different reasons than I end up appreciating them. Yeah. Inception, you know, it's 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 a Rubik's Cube on purpose. Christopher Nolan does wrote, helped write a character in The Prestige. Mm-hmm. Christian Bale's character who has a trick up his sleeve that everyone is going to remember him for, and is too poor of a showman to pull it off successfully, Mm. versus a showman who is just not imaginative enough and just not clever enough to pull off the same level of integrity that Christian Bale's character can pull off. And I think that is Christopher Nolan at war with himself for his entire career. So are you saying that Hugh Jackman is the greatest showman in wow. in The Prestige? I know you're referencing a movie. <laughs> but no. <laughs> I, I couldn't resist. I bet you couldn't. Trying to get me to say something about greatest so you can ring that buzzer and it's so many levels. <laughs> if you just <laughs> twisted them a couple of times, you could have your own little Christopher Nolan moment. Um, so... Um, so that's the thing for me is when I'm watching Tenet, I, I'm con- consistently like in awe of the level of a- ambition that seems to be Mm-mm. in the details and work that he wants to put his crew through in order to make these concepts work. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's a person who has this magnificent trick up his sleeve and yet just can't understand as a showman how to make the emotions work to find the success that he could have. Because so many people have been down on him ever since The Dark Knight Rises. People having problems about Interstellar and the way they talk about love. People talking about how Dunkirk is basically a mathematically created movie and they don't see the emotion in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, 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 there's... Here or there, you can agree with who you want to agree with, but... Mm-hmm. That was that was the big takeaway for me in watching so many back-to-back. By the way, also in 4K, uh, Christopher Nolan... I don't know, you know how much directors have direct control over the 4K releases of their movies, but having filmed so much of these in IMAX, mm-hmm. the sheer level of detail 
and his influence over retaining film grain and the look that you get out of watching yeah. this is so worth the hard copy, I, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, and I mean, I, mean I, I get there are people who don't like Christopher Nolan as a director. Uh, that's fine, but I, you have to respect his integrity for, for like sticking with, with the actual film when he's making his, his uh, projects. Mm-hmm. So, are there any takeaways from watching movies this week that you want to share with the audience? Any takeaways? Mm. Yeah, think about that. Like, I'm not sure what you mean by takeaway at this point. Uh, Just a closing statement about your experiences this week uh, that you'd like to remember about the oh the week. Well, I mean, it's not this week, but like, I, I talked about David Lynch, and it's like like. That for me is a milestone, watching my first David Lynch movie. Oh, yeah. So that's something that I'll always remember. And watching three almost back-to-back is a... It's a a journey. Um, And on top of that, like... uh, Oh, watched my first Indonesian film today. Well, languaged film, I I guess I'll say. So that's that's, that's, that's always going to be a highlight. Like... I, I still rem- like I still remember every language that was my first uh, foreign language film, but yeah, so that's that's probably it. Like that's a neat. couple of firsts, and I think my biggest takeaway from this week has got to be that I will forever be in favor of hard copies over <laughs> digital copies until I have all of them. <laughs> all right. I'll second that. That's all right. Thank you all for listening. I'm sorry if our buzzer is annoying. Please uh, feel free to uh, follow me on at High Contrast FLM and follow Curtis at 90s Gamer 407. I do some streaming on Twitch every now and then. Uh, the The Twitch name is uh, 90s Gamer 407. Uh, they stream games that I like there. Uh, just recently got done playing Ghost of Tsushima, which is a fantastic game if you haven't played it yet. It's a game, not a movie. Doesn't count. It does, though. No, it doesn't. Okay. <laughs>